0: Hi, this is Tim Winter. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? A Digital Conversation Exploring the Leadership Experience. You can listen to it at timwinner.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? A podcast exploring the leadership experience. I have a uh, well, it's a new friend on the show today, and uh, I'm really excited about my guest. I uh, I find myself talking to him sometimes, and uh, we had scheduled a 30-minute conversation and ended up having a uh, a two-hour conversation. But a super interesting person and a super talented, unbelievable resume and background, and I'm really excited to uh, to have him in the studio and uh, and to talk uh about his career and uh and how it inter- uh really intersects with leadership. So on today's show is Connor Quinn. Welcome Connor. Hey Tim, thank you so much, man. What a pleasure. Oh, Absolute pleasure. Hey, my my the is all mine. I uh <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's funny. I'm usually out there, you know, you know how it is, you know how the hustle goes and uh, you're out there mining for, uh, for guests or you're leaning into your network and uh, uh, to get people on the show. And there's a lot of people, you know, there's not comfortable doing it. And you were the exact opposite. You came to me. (laughs)
1: I did. Yeah, I was just, you know, I happened to enjoy your podcast. And uh, I was really motivated one day to uh, write an email, not thinking that I'm not really in your lane about what you're, you're chatting about, but I enjoy it because it's just so much of what you're, you're discussing is applicable to everybody, you know, everyone's success. And, you know, so I just reached out and kind of explain my, my backstory and, and, uh, just wanted to share those thoughts. Had, had no idea that you would actually say, yeah, come on the show. Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? I love the, uh, I love how broad the show is and, you know, yeah. the inspiration of the show was obviously my best friend who, right. who tragically was killed and I wanted a way to honor him. And, you know, my conversation with you, when we, when we talked, uh, to see if it was a good fit right like is is going to be a good fit is it going to sure. be interesting to you and, and um you know worth your while uh it reminded me so much of my, uh, some of the conversations that I would have with Dave and oh, wow. uh, because we could just talk about things and uh what an honor. you know you, your your background uh you know starting as a, as an actor at 6 uh yes it's just <laughs> so fascinating and then and I think what was really interesting to me is when we talked about um, you know, you didn't really see yourself in the lane, yet here you're operating this business, you're a business, you've been in the industry for a long time, and uh, there's a certain amount of leadership that you provide. And it's it's interesting to explore that side of leadership uh, that isn't in, you know, you know, typically what my background, which was, you know, either retail management or managing right. large groups of, of people, but there's still a certain amount of leadership. And I think exploring that today is going to be a lot of fun. It will absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. So, why don't you take my audience on a on the Reader's Digest of how (laughs) you got to where you're
1: at? So, yeah, it was. um, I was, you know, about six years old. Um, I was born in New Mexico and had a grandparent that uh, my grandfather uh, was a cameraman for CBS Television City in Hollywood, and you know, for The Price is Right and for various soap operas and that sort of thing. And, you know, I I grew up in the 70s. I'm, you know, Gen X. And uh, at that time, Winnie the the Pooh was huge. And uh, he, when we went out there, he asked me, would you like to meet Winnie the Pooh? Well, as any six-year-old kid in the 70s, absolutely. And it just so happened that one of the, uh, they were all grips and and cameramen, all these tech guys that hung out together at a diner. But one of the gang that would kind of hang out occasionally was Sterling Holloway, who was uh, the, the character voice actor who provided the voice for Winnie the Pooh. And he was there at the diner and uh, he was introduced to me as Winnie the Pooh. And, you know, it confused me as a kid. It's like, why is can this guy talk like Winnie the Pooh, but he doesn't look like Winnie the Pooh. And it was just uh, absolutely, you know, it blew my brain at that at that young age, and uh, at that time, Disney was doing storyteller records on their forty fives and thirty. You know, for the younger audience, there were these things called cassettes and records back in the day, and so they were taking their uh, main animated features and putting transferring them, you know, kind of rewriting them in a shortened, condensed version for children uh, on these records and cassettes. And they just happened, thank God, they had the uh, the original cast from uh, Winnie the Pooh from the late 60s still alive. And they were recording a series of, of these uh, audiobooks. And uh, I guess you'd call them audiobooks. You know, these, uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, turn a page and, you know, read the story. And uh, he asked my grandfather, he says, does your grandson, do- does he do a British accent? Well, my <laughs> my grandfather and my dad are both from Oklahoma (laughs) and without even missing a beat. He's like, absolutely. Yeah. He does a great British accent. Well, he says, well, that's great because our Christopher Robin is, you know, going through adolescence and we need a younger for this particular storyline. We need a younger Christopher Robin. We're going to have an audition in a couple of months. Uh, I would love to see him there. Well, (laughs) my dad and my grandfather worked with me for like two months trying to get me to do this British accent. And I made Dick Van Dyke sound wonderful <laughs> on Mary Poppins with his, his British uh, Cockney accent. And I was horrible, but you know, I guess because I had the blessing of uh, Mr. Holloway, I got the, I won the audition and that was my first gig into uh, voiceover. And so, yeah, so that was my first step. And then from there, uh, I did a lot of television, you know, I was on a uh, little house in the prairie is, you know, one of the kids, and you know, uh, many, many scenes. Uh, that featured the schoolhouse or the church, the playground, and at that same time, I was filming. I would spend six months in New York, and we would shoot Sesame Street for a few seasons, for four or five seasons. And between those, as I, you know, at that age, and even as I got older, I just did hundreds, if not a, thousands, of commercials. You know, everything from Jell-O to uh, Coca-Cola to, you know, you name it. Uh, I even once did a Reese's Peanut Butter commercial with Horson Wells of all people. So oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That was, and you know, you know, I'm not very old. I'm like six or seven. I had no idea who he was, so I was not uh, impressed at all. <laughs> and he was so funny when he arrived on the set. He was like, uh, he came right up to me and he goes, oh, are, are you the Connor Quinn? And I said, well, of course I am the, yes, I am Connor Quinn, the Connor Quinn. And he's like, well, it's so fascinating to meet you. You know, it's like everybody on the set's laughing at that age. I was, you know, who is this guy? (laughs) Well, I shook his hand and I'll never forget. As he shook my hand, he goes, now you can say you've shaken the hand of a man who shook the hand (laughs) of Sir Charles Chaplin. (laughs) And. (laughs) And you didn't Who's, know who I, that was. No, I didn't know. So he laughed. He thought it was funny. I didn't know who he was. And even worse, I didn't know who this Charles Chaplin was, you know. So it was lost on me. But yeah, but so, you
0: still did the commercial, right? Like, still did
1: the commercial. And the interactions that we had to have, it needed that providence to kind of do the joke of the commercial was this kid is nonplussed by Orson Welles. He just wanted his Reese's. And uh-huh. nothing could take him away from that Reese's. Now, if it had been uh, Andre the Giant, oh, <laughs> done. You know, I would have known exactly who, who that was. But uh, yeah, so, you know, I did a lot of, oh my gosh, so many commercials uh, as a child actor. And, and uh, you know, on Little House, Michael Landon got us all together and, you know, basically told us that if we want to survive in Hollywood, we've got to, find something else to do because the acting thing probably will not work out you know there as we get older we get kind of geekier looking you know bald fat and you know he was just really bold about it and so i raised my hand i'm like well why are you here then and he you know everyone's laughing and he said well it's because i can write, i can direct i can produce and oh i can also act and as he was leaving the set that day he, he looked at me and said uh and you like to talk a lot. You ought to go into voiceover. And so I was probably at that age, probably eight or nine. So I told my agent and she's like, yeah, you seem to really take like a duct to water to voiceover. So we're going to start moving you in that direction. So I went full time as a voiceover when I was uh, probably 15, I guess. Oh, wow. And there I've stayed. I've, you know, I, my best work has been behind the microphone, behind the camera and the microphone for that matter.
0: Wow. And and so there is that transition from, I guess, being in front of the camera, being and and then voiceover, and then but 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 with technology, voiceover must have just expanded with video games and and I, I
1: mean, CGI. These characters still need voices, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's just it's blossomed. I mean, you know, at the time, I just remember, you know, there was a, you know, I'm exaggerating, but it's just it's a common statistics that the, the older crowd of voiceovers will throw out is, you know, back in the day, there was just, there wasn't even 30 people that did like 80% of the work of everything you heard in the United States. And well, you know, in the English speaking world, you know, it was was only about 30 of them, you could name them. And they made it wonderful money. I mean, incredible money. And they were just, you know, they called all of us that were back then, they called us the hidden persuaders. Because, our job was to persuade someone to buy something or to do something, and nobody thought who we were. They didn't care. They didn't see us. We were hidden. And, you know, so that was to me that, that was appealing as opposed to the other side of the camera of being a celebrity. I was never really comfortable, you know, having to get up at 4 a.m. and get into makeup and costume and stand around all day. And oh, they m- might get to you at four o'clock in the afternoon for your, you know, for your scene. Whereas you know, voiceover was immediate. You go in, you record and you're off to lunch or hopefully another session. And nobody in, what was great for me as I got a teenager and really started, you know, the love of money, I liked it because I could, uh, I could do multiple things. Uh, I could change my voice and, you know, one week do product A, and then the next week do product B and they're both in the same genre, but because I don't sound the same, nobody cares. Right. Um, well, but, but you still, you're acting,
0: right? I mean, you still yeah. have to convey right. whatever that, you know, um, did you know the guy who did the voice of Batman in the animated series? He yeah, just the, recently
1: passed away. Yeah. Kevin Conroy, who is a great, probably my favorite Batman. You know, he was, like you said, the animated Batman in the nineties and, you know, up until his death, fantastic actor.
0: So we were at Comic-Con and my, my son who is, was just, he was one of his heroes. Right. Uh Kevin was speaking on a panel. And of course my son <laughs> was dressed up. I, oh gosh, one of the Robins, um, one right. of the, no, one of the non right, Robins. Right, right, right. He has a name, Black Hawk or one of those guys. So the that, multi-world uh, yeah. Robins. Yeah. And, um, Kevin caught and 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 I I tell you, the kid, my my son was probably eight years old, nine years old, and he got up, he went and stood by the mic and he asked a question. And Kevin loved the question. And I don't remember the question now. Wow. Lucas could tell you. And afterwards, uh, Luke got his picture taken with him. And and there's this great, just a wonderful picture uh kevin has his arms around him and luke's in his costume and it still hangs on his bedroom wall to this day he really really admired Absolutely. the guy and, and and loved it so there you know, it's interesting to me i had no idea who he was but my son was like a fan a super fan
1: right you know and and you know starting with this, this these younger generations uh you know for many years when people asked what i did i just said i i'm a small business owner or i just say i'm an actor I wouldn't say a voiceover because the next question is a uh, a what what is that or a voiceover what? But this these younger generations who are filled with anime and they're very their these conventions are very big, you know, the cons, they know uh, you know, this you know, a lot of the voice work I've done for Disney and it's just amazing how much of the uh the nerd crowd, which I you know, I consider myself a nerd, uh really has they really know their voice people. And it's just it's amazing because you would be, come an unintended celebrity just because you have done something, uh, you know, for, a, for a big brand or something like that. But, you know, I remember my early training is a, a, a voice guy that, um, one of my, you know, just a guy that I really looked up to and was coached by Dawes Butler who did a lot of, uh, he was the Mel, you know, Mel Blank was to, uh, Warner brothers. What Dawes Butler was to Hanna-Barbera. Okay. And, So, you know, he was the voice of Huckleberry Hound, Elroy Jetsons, uh, Snagglepuss, and I can go on and on and on. So just a legend, but I just remember him saying that your job as a voiceover is to get out of the way of the copy, copy being what we're reading. So if you're telling a story of a brand, if you're telling uh, the story of a talking bear, you're not, you know, don't have an ego in it. You are that person or you're that spokesperson. You are for that company you are that bear, but don't get in the way of his his message uh, because you are not, you know, unlike a on-camera an act- actor, you're not there to, if people pay attention to you, you're not doing your job. That's what he used to say.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Right. So I always tried, do a great job, but you never want the people to look behind the curtain of the, you know, the man behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz type of thing. Well, it's yeah, it's interesting
0: too. Like when you look at the success of The Simpsons or Family Guy or all of those. I mean, the actors who do those voices are, 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 you know, or or, uh, South Park. I mean, there is there. I mean, they are those characters, right? But they're not, but they are.
1: They are. I mean, it's just people know them; they can roll them off their tongue just as as well as they can. Brad Pitt or Julia Roberts or George Clooney. I mean, they. You know, people know them. In my day, you know, the voiceovers that I kind of uh, gravitated to are still to this day are unknown, mm-hmm. even to the generations that grew up with them. For example, uh, the Pillsbury Doughboy. I had to know who is the voice of the Pillsbury Doughboy. And for the late 60s, 70s, and most of the 80s, uh, that was a legend of a voice actor by the name of Paul Freese, who's also the voice of the Haunted Mansion in Disney, uh, Walt Disney World and Disneyland and uh, oh, really? he he was the voice of boris badenoff uh for those old enough to remember the bullwinkle show and so he you know he did that he was also the voice of toucan sam for fruit loops uh kellogg's fruit loops and one of my dear friends you know i wrote to him when i was 14 you know i asked my agent i was like you know who is the voice of the green giant she was like what and i'm like i that i want to you know i'm you know i'm 14 or so i want to write him i want to to find out if he's real well of course he's real he's a screen actors sag member just like you well i you know i want his autograph to me that was my johnny carson that was my jimmy stewart or you know you know i'm really showing my age here but that was the generation i grew up with it was like i wanted to know these hidden persuaders so through you know this is a story for another podcast on how i found out who he was but it's like i did finally figure out who he was, his name was Lynn Dressler and he uh, <laughs> recorded the ho, ho, ho. It, he, he did three takes of that in the late sixties and it put three of his daughters through college, oh, uh, you know, up until he died, he was still making residual pay <clears throat> on those on that laugh. And uh, so Lynn and I were great friends. He was also the voice for those old enough to remember. Uh, there was a serial called dig em smacks. I don't know if it's still around. It was a frog. He was the voice of the diggum smacks frog. And he was the voice of Levi James and on and on and on. But just an incredible, he was so, he didn't even have a headshot. He was so, he, he just was struck as a bizarre thing. Why would a 14 year old kid want my autograph? Who is this guy?
0: Is that, well, I always, I found that interesting on your bio that you, I, I thought it was brilliant. I, maybe it is. You don't have a headshot. It, it's just, it, it's just your
1: <laughs> mouth. It is just my mouth. That's my branding, right? Yeah, because, uh, you know, it goes way back to Walt Disney. When he used to cast uh, his animated features, he would go into a room and the uh, voice actors of the day, actually, they were just actors. They would go into the other room and each was assigned a number and they would say the number and they would do the audition. And he would write down the numbers he liked and give it to his staff. Uh, or consult with them, or whatever, but he didn't want to know their names. He didn't want to know what they look like because those were all influencing him. Maybe uh, she's a famous character actress at the time, or he didn't want any of that. He just wanted the quality of the voice in that character. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of the generation I was raised in. It was like uh, voiceovers are heard, not seen. Well, you know, it makes sense. I mean, it's almost
0: like that show on television with the the blind audition because there are right. so you're you're influenced by what they look like or what True. they and,
1: and then you have a perception. Called, that show is called The Voice. Yeah, The and, Voice. Right. Yeah, and it's beautiful because it's uh yeah, because uh, I've often thought it'd be a great show if they never through the whole s- season would ever see their voices. They would just hear eat as they progressed as they were voted through. And at the very end would be the final reveal of who won the voice and what do they look like? Um, but anyway, you're absolutely right. It's just like, that's the way it should be done. It should be based on talent. And, uh, in this generation or this era of, you know, celebrity voices, you know, it's very common for Pixar or, you know, Disney to sure. ask a famous celebrity for a leverage, you know, to uh, get the box office. And you know, it's good and bad. You have really great things like Robin Williams, who did a uh, uh, the genie for Aladdin. It was incredible masterpiece. Tom home- Hanks as Woody. Absolutely, they're iconic. And there's some that just kind of fall flat, uh, and some that were not expected, like uh, you know Robbie Benson doing the Beast and Beauty and the Beast, and Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Potts. Uh, so you have wonderful things, uh, but there are so many talented voice actors out there uh, that can put their own spin on stuff that. You know, it'd be great to see them get a chance, uh, you know, because our early days, they were made up of actors that slowly kind of like Sterling Holloway. He did on camera for The Twilight Zone and for Andy Griffith and stuff like that. But he just slowly found his way more. They started wanting him for that voice. Well, don't you think it was more like
0: when I think of Fred Flintstone, I couldn't tell you who did the voice. I think of Fred,
1: the animated Mm -hmm. character. Where uh, when I think right. of the genie, I think of Robin Williams. It's funny. Yeah. And see, I think of both. When I grew up, the original voice of Fred Flintstone was a, an actor by the name of Al- Alan Reed. And in the seventies, uh, my generation, Gen Xers, they grew up with a different Fred Flintstone who was Henry Corden. And so they did sound a little bit different. So it'd be like, a, you know, kids or adults my age. Now when they think of Kermit the Frog, they think of Jim Henson, but most kids that are like, uh, millennials or that sort of thing for the longest time, they think of, if they know anything, they would have heard of Steve Whitmire because he had had been the voice for about 20 years. You know, he was the voice right after Jim Henson. So you're right. It's like, there's a, it's, there's a dichotomy there where, uh, you have like, uh, Robin Williams, you have those types where they're, they're known knowns. And then you just have those, unknowns like for example the 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 uh, simpsons cast they were character actors but boy they found their tribe and their you know they really started to uh do well when they became the voice of the simpsons iconic and now a lot of people you know are very familiar with their faces uh if they've looked you know looked them up on youtube or they would see them on a show or whatever so yeah and you know they're paid handsomely it's because they are they're celebrities in the world.
0: Well, it's iconic, and that shows yeah. a combination of great acting oh, yeah. and, uh, and unbelievable scripts.
1: Oh, right? yeah. the so, writing right. on it. Yeah. It's you know, <laughs> I often tell you I'm just a dumb actor. It's like <laughs> uh, I'm only as good as my writer. What, what the writers give me, I can sound, you know, I can sound pretty like what you're not seeing here is I have notes all over my studio, you know, you know, to help me try to, you know, because I don't really talk this fast or off my head. <laughs> That much. So it's, you know, again, I'm an actor. I, I present well, but it's like, you know, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes. If, man, if I could remember everything that I've ever cut, you know, all the documentary stuff, all the science films and medicine stuff, I would win Jeopardy. Man, I'd be a doctor. Oh, my. Yeah. And I've played a doctor on TV. So it's (laughs) (laughs) funny. So, Connor, I believe
0: and it's interesting talking to you because I believe anyone can be a leader. And I'm just curious because I think you do provide leadership. I think you provide you're you're almost like this um, curator of this craft. Uh, in a way, mm-hmm. in the way that you speak of it, which is a way of providing leadership to to really the craft of voiceover acting. I mean, you're an unbelievable historian. We didn't hit on this last time we chatted, but in listening to you and talking to you right now, you really you really are kind of a a curator of the craft.
1: I really am. I you know I've got my house is filled with uh, reels. I've got you know uh, I've got reels upon reel. I got thousands of reels and cassettes of you know, just stuff I've loved. And over the years, uh, I collected everybody because I, I am a fan of voiceover. I'm a nerd. <laughs> and I wrote to all these famous people that were, well, they're famous as far as their voice was famous. I would write to them and say, I want your demo. Because that's our calling card is voiceovers. We at one time had reel-to-reels and then cassettes, and now we do MP3s and have websites. But I would collect their demos and they would send them to me. So man, I have thousands of, 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 these, and it's, it's like a museum that not many people are interested in. It's a very select amount of people that, uh, you know, the, the, the era that I was in Hollywood as an actor for a long time, I was there, but it's just like, it, it slices through so many different things. There's a television aspect, and then there's that voiceover aspect, but there is a growing interest in it because voiceover nowadays pretty much everybody when i say that i'm a voiceover they kind of know what that is you know sure well yeah
0: and i i do think i do think with the you know with video games and with all of the you know anime and all of the things that we discuss i think that is i think i i think back in the 60s and 70s it was a novelty if you knew who right you know,
1: the actor was for yeah. If you could reel that off or, or something like that. And speaking, you know, when you talk to leadership, that was our original communication. Is that was the part that I really didn't feel like, you know, I didn't provide any anything like that. It wasn't until that you and I spoke on the phone and stuff that, you know, I started thinking back over my career. And it's true, uh, you know, as an early voiceover, if you're in a studio, you shut up unless they tell you to talk. You don't say. You don't comment on the script. You don't suggest any changes because you're just the talent. That's your union. And over the years, you know, it's like uh, you're in a small circle. So they probably the casting director they already already know who you are. They've heard your name around or your voice around, and so your reputation precedes you in a way. Uh, over the years, I've just gotten more comfortable talking, and they'll ask me uh, about what I would, how I would phrase. You know, maybe the tagline of a commercial, or, you know, it's very rare that that'll happen. But sometimes there is leadership where you have a room full of people on the other end of the, you know, the line, listening to you, and you just kind of say, "Well, if I would, if I was going to say it, this is how I would do it." And it may not be changing the words, but it just might be saying like, uh, "Well, for example, you know, I I was the voice of Visa for for many years after Ed Grover, and Ed Grover was the voiceover that." He, uh, he was there with their everywhere you want to be. So I had to mimic his voice because that's what they wanted. He had retired and they, he passed the baton to me. And when he would read the copy, it was, uh, you know, he'd say something like, uh, there's a little place just outside Tupelo that serves up the best baby back ribs. But if you go to Ray's, you better bring your visa card because he doesn't take American express visa. It's everywhere you want to be. So. You know, that, that, that was their million dollar tagline that everywhere you want to be. So whatever, you know, I had a million different commercials to do, but I had to make sure that I hit that, that way that he had done it, that, uh, you know, it's not the iambic pentameter, but you know, the, the, the pentameter of his read. And, uh, so that was, I would never change that, but after, after you do it for so many years you could relax it and have fun with it and make it kind of refreshing. So there's a million ways to say, Visa, it's everywhere you want to be. Visa, it's everywhere you want to be. I mean, right. I, it's endless how you can possibly, but the way that it was done with Ed Grover was the shrine. Do not touch it. That, <laughs> it better sound that way every single time, no matter what uh no matter if it's raised or uh, a place outside San Francisco or you know whatever we're doing you i still have to deliver it in that you know do you still these, do um, that do you still do that today i did they brought me back for a super bowl spot here a while back a few years ago where i re re reprised the role role of saying uh uh you know they had a famous football player i guess in like a a drug store and he paid with his card and it impressed the guy standing there that it, oh, it's uh, Peyton Manning or whoever, and he just used his Visa card. That's amazing. And at the very end, I came in and go, you know, Visa, it's everywhere you want to be. You know, I just did that iconic line. And, uh, you know, I owe it to Ed Grover. He gave me my career on a silver platter because I was just, uh, you know, an everyday working slum doing voiceover. And, uh But you, you know, were able to do it, but you were able to capture yeah. that. Yeah. The real, you know, the watered down story real quick is he and I had the same agent and she was a young agent and she knew that there was a lot of clients that wanted to use Ed Grover, but they couldn't afford him. So back in the day, in the eighties, they were exclusive. He was the voice of Nissan, the voice of Macintosh, the voice of Visa. And he had, you know, he only did like four or five, but he made, you know, he was a multimillionaire, you know, uh, because there was very few guys doing it, and he was the voice of these companies. So, you know, to hire him to go into a studio to record something was a lot of money. Well, I'm just a kid, but I could do his voice pretty pretty well. I was in love with his voice, basically. And so <laughs> as an eager agent, she was like, oh, this is great. We can use you to do his voice. There was no Google at the time, so they had no idea who Ed Grover was and so i found myself going all over town you know all over southern california doing ed grover reads uh for these smaller companies uh you know she would you know charge them pretty good but not not too much and well you know ed grover caught on to this and he unknowingly i didn't know this he invited me out to dinner while i'd never met him (laughs) and he called me up and said uh you know, I would like to take you out to dinner to the Beverly Hilton. Well, I'd never been. It's a, you know, it's a seven star resort at the time or whatever, you know, and he said, I'll send send my driver to pick you up. And I was like, Oh my, I've never been in a limo. What, you know, I'm, I'm 16, 17 years old. Well, we get to the thing. It was like a lamb to slaughter. And, uh, so I get there, we enjoyed a nice little salad, which I really didn't, you know, I was a kid. I wanted, you know, let's cut to the hamburger. And, So we went through that and, you know, eating the, uh, rabbit food and, and, uh, he was just (laughs) making small talk and he said, you know, Connor, uh, I was driving today on the 405 and I heard myself for the Southern California, uh, uh, Toyota dealers. And I knew in the back of my mind, that was me that had done that. And I said, oh, really? And he's like, yeah. And do you see a problem with that? No, I think that's. Toyota, that's awesome. You know, way to go, Ed. And he's like, you see, I'm the voice of Nissan. I'm like, right? And he's like, so Nissan wouldn't be very happy if they heard me doing Toyota, now would they? And I'm like, well, I, you know, you're very, and he goes, no, they would not. That's the answer. They would not like that. I'm exclusive to Toyota or to Nissan. Nissan. And Mrs. Grover likes the money. And, you know, we don't want to, you know, he, he, you know, it's so kind of sexist, you know, nowadays, but, uh, he made the comment that if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, and, right. which totally went over my head as a 16 year old kid. And oh, and, FYI
0: still applies
1: today. <laughs> you, right. Okay. That's good to know. There you go. It's very good Ed Mr. <laughs> Grover. It's, it's happy wife, happy right, life.
0: Right. There you Okay. There you go. I've heard right. that. Okay. Now let me make it correct. Happy partner. Happy life.
1: I there know. you go. All right, right, right. So I, uh, you know, I started sweating, and uh, I threw my agent under the bus. She made me do it, and I've been and I listed all the companies I've been doing voices for with his voice, and he just said back. you? And, able, were you
0: were, okay, so that's interesting. But were you? Were you imitating him, or were you just capturing the essence of him, or did you have him down where it was
1: like an impersonation? Oh, it was an impersonation. Thank oh, you. It was, okay. Yeah, it was you know Rich Little now doing Ronald Reagan type of thing. <laughs> it was not. Yeah, it totally should not have been happening. Oh, and, but, but you yeah. know, an unscrupulous, this, uh, age. Oh <laughs> yeah. So the con was on early and, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. She saw way a of making money and I was the willing accomplice, not knowing that what we're doing is wrong. Oh,
0: no, you thought it was fun. It was, a, it, oh, was it was, a compliment. I loved it was it. a
1: compliment. Absolutely. I, you know, I was loving it. And that's what, uh, thank God Mr. Grover had said, because there was kind of shady rumors about what he might be you know, that he, he was a very powerful person in Southern California. He wasn't just a character actor, supposedly. So, you know, maybe that was just talk. I was scared to death. I was like, Oh my God, now I'm in the Godfather. And yeah. you know, you're, you're uh, going to be in
0: the pool by yeah. one of
1: the villas. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Beverly <laughs> Hills. I coming. Right. Right. If Robert De Niro walked in that room, I would have just died. And so. well, I have,
0: You you mentioned something. I want to ask you a question. Yeah, you, yeah. you mentioned your reel. Okay. Or, or your demo right. Do, is your demo a collection of things you've done or do you actually sit down and produce it do voice actors you, or do you sit down and go, no, I'm going to make this really pun. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to script this out and then I'm going to record it. And that's my demo. Or do you, or is it just a cut
1: of a bunch of your stuff? That's a great question. So it's, it, there's kind of two sides to that for me personally, my, my, all of my demos are work that I've done. So When you listen to them, there are excerpts from commercials I've done over the years uh, to show the variety, because most voiceovers today, they usually have just one style. And with me, my voice is in the middle, so it allows me to, you know, to do Ed Grover's voice, you know, Visa, it's everywhere you want to be, to, to, you know, to this voice right here, the new Toyota Tundra, you know, doing that, or... Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone begins Friday, November 23rd. So there's this whole range that I play with because that, that's my skill. That's what my, uh, you know, that's my lane. Whereas the younger voiceovers are kind of taught to just be yourself. And they're the whole package of just doing that voice. So when they start off as a voiceover, they don't have work to pull from. So it is very common nowadays, especially for the younger voiceovers to go to a, a, a demo producer and they produce, you know, they write the scripts, they put the music in this go to an engineer or a, a demo producers are called and they write, they direct, they uh, put sound effects in music. And so they can create an animation demo, a commercial demo. And it's not really fooling anybody. It's just basically to say, if I was the voice of craft. Here's what I would sound like if I did Goodyear, or if I was the voice of a Disney prince. This is what I sound like, and so a lot of the guys the, these days they go to uh, demo producers to have it done. Whereas I'm old school, and <laughs> I just basically have a portfolio of of my stuff called. It's basically called a sizzle reel, basically.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're using real life stuff. You're using the real yeah. thing of what you've done. Indeed, right.
1: That's interesting. Okay. So, so there are two schools of thought on it though. There is. And, you know, a lot of, you know, me as a a coach will tell people, you know, it's the atmosphere of, of the, of the times. If they're, if they're new to the business, I encourage them to uh, go with a producer and have a demo created, but that's a lot of money. When, when you're just now starting out, you shouldn't be spending a lot of money on something you may or may not be good at. Uh, So, in the beginning, you know, just do a rough thing of yourself just to get, you know, a demo out there of what you sound like. And you can circulate that. And as you get more work, you can see, oh, this is something that I'm going to turn into a career or maybe, you know, a, a, a gig that's going to pay, pay me some money. And then you can make a choice about, uh, you know, having a demo reel produced because they can be very costly. They can be several thousands of dollars to have a one-minute demo made. Uh, you know, and it's same thing with your equipment. You know, a lot of these uh, kids today, they, you know, like the microphone I'm speaking to you on, it's a Neumann U87. So it's a, whatever, a $3,500, $4,000 microphone. Uh, that's not necessary. There are plenty of USB microphones that, uh, someone could get off Amazon or somewhere like that. Uh, you know, or even a audio supplier for like $250 or whatever, that is very good quality. Uh, because they're not doing the big gigs that i'm doing that demand the more expensive equipment but as their career goes then they can invest in their career but i think it's just like anybody starting off in business that you 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 grow as you can you know you don't want to outpace yourself or you're just digging a hole you know so, uh, so had a, you-
0: so you Go mentioned, ahead. though, that you provided it. You mentioned that you have young. So you have like, do you teach a class or do you uh, is it more organic than that?
1: Yeah, it's more organic. I'm, I'm a working full time voiceover. So uh, I occasionally will have uh, students, you know, I call them students, but they're, you know, in their 20s or 30s that'll have me kind of coach them. Uh, there's several several things. I can help them on performance. Maybe they're not getting the, uh, they're not winning that many auditions. They're doing a lot of auditions, but they're not getting hired. And so I help them as a performance coach to help them maybe uh, not only change their attitude, but, you know, because acting is very organic and there's a lot of moving parts uh, to make sure that that's all going right from, you know, not only your diet, but your Uh, your mental health and uh, your acting ability and that sort of thing. Plus the performance itself of, of doing the VO. And then the other side of it, a lot of uh, people, they might be a little bit older. They're now at a point in their career where they're needing me to help guide them on how to uh, really improve their ROI. How to, how can, you know, they may not be making six figures and they're wanting to get there. Um, You know, and you know, they, they need a plan. How do they make a plan? So I help them kind of think it through because after all, this is show business. And, right. <laughs> you know, as I learned as early on as a kid is like, uh, you know, uh, there's a whole larger side of it that, that is very rarely seen. But you've got to take care of the back end uh, to make the, the front end work, you know. Absolutely. So you've worked with some amazing
0: people. Like, I mean, the names are rattling off and the people that, you know, you've done amazing work. I mean, just, I could listen to you do the visa commercials all day. It cracks me up because it's so familiar,
1: <laughs> right? It is. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a part part of my childhood and part of your childhood. It's like, it's what we grew up with. Just like, uh, you know, uh, any Coca-Cola jingle or, you know, Oscar Mayer jingle. Those are stuff that we grew up with. And, um, yeah, they're familiar. that's a part they're, of what I love about. Yeah they're comforting they are comforting uh, and and even today when i still use that voice a lot of the older uh you know let's say they're in their 40s or older if they're the casting director that resonates with them they may sure. not use that particular voice there but it makes the, it's it, i kind of use it as a weapon in a way is of getting them to my the dark side <laughs> um so i get them drunk on that you know uh it's just fun, you know. It's almost like a party trick where you, you do these voices. Maybe the Harry Potter voice uh, captured their youth, or maybe, uh, like you say, the Visa commercial. No, where did uh, you it, do the Harry Potter? Basically, it's you... a trick of.
0: Where did you do the Harry Potter? Is that like is... so?
1: Yeah, so there are several of us that did the uh, when the trailers came out. Um, they used uh, different voice actors to do what they call trailer, which is uh, the the short clip a minute or two minutes that would play in a theater and tell you that something is coming, you know, a coming attraction. Those are called trailers. Right. Uh, because they hook them together and in, you know, you would sit in the theater and the, you would sit through like 10 minutes of trailers before you get to your main attraction. And so anyway, when the the series of Harry Potter films had come out, uh, there was a group of us that that did them. They had some that were what what we'd call a straight announce. They were just a, a just a voice that really didn't have any character to it. And the voice that I did, they wanted it to sound more like Dumbledore, the main head magician, uh, wizard. And, you know, at the time, God, I'm so horrible with actors. I can't remember his name. He didn't want to do the voiceover. And I just remember I, I won the audition and, you know, they sent me home with a, uh, you know, an MP3 or at those in those days, it was a CD of his acting style. And they wanted me to imitate it. Um,
0: Oh, okay.
1: And so there was another guy that I had studied with. He was a mentor of mine named Hal Douglas. And he was one of the, there's probably like five guys that were, every time you went to the theater, you would get one, if not all of these five guys while you're sitting there telling you what movies are coming up. And Hal Douglas was one of those voices. He was the voice of the History Channel. And tonight on Biography. We take a look by Queen Elizabeth. You know, he had that. Wasn't uh, Ron Perdue? Perdue Pr, Pr, Pr,
0: oh, Ron! Ron.
1: Um, there
0: was another famous guy who did that. In fact, we used him in a. Um, we used him in a Hollywood video commercial. Oh, Don LaFontaine.
1: Don LaFontaine. Yeah, we yeah, used the, him. We used. Yes, that was a. Those brilliant commercials. Spawns. Oh, my God yeah he'd climb up out of the uh out the of the counter cover. and stand up and and read the back of the, VHS. <laughs> the uh, box. yeah the oh, customer would beautiful. come up and
0: say, the customer come up and say hey what's this movie about
1: hey Don <laughs> <laughs> he go he he looked pissed off like oh God here we go again okay but, but he would read it in worry gone desperately wrong Arnold yeah. swore, you know he'd do the whole thing and so yeah Hal Douglas you that know, was all, by it. the way, I'm going to give a shout
0: out. That was Cliff Freeman in part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, oh God. Fre- yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, he, he's a legend. Oh, my God.
1: He's where the he beef. Did. He was a legend. Yes. He was where him. I got to Yeah, you know your stuff. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. He's oh, fantastic. Bless your heart, man. I my never, favorite.
1: What a what a legend.
0: My favorite was what he produced was, and I still, to this day, it'll just make me belly laugh, is the kid is talking to the customer. And the camera is looking down out, like outside the store and um, outside the window towards the parking lot. And this old little old lady goes walking by and these birds attack her. And the kids uh, pauses, yells up to the front of the store. Hey, Jack, can you turn off the birds? (laughs) And there's this control panel with like duct tape. That says, you know, waterfall, rain, birds. And he clicks <laughs> the toggle switch and the birds go away. <laughs> and it was, we are Hollywood, we are entertainment. You know, you're gonna ex- so you're immersed funny. in entertainment when you shop at Hollywood Video. And, I, and that brilliant. was Cliff Freeman, and it was brilliant. Yes. And I oh still watch man. it today and I get I belly
1: laugh. I do too. I've, you know, I've got copies of, uh, that I had ran off of, of, of LaFontaine doing because just, he wasn't really a, definitely not an on-camera actor, but towards the end of his life, he started doing, you know, the Geico put him the same thing. He'd stand in front of a microphone and yep. read the, uh, insurance policy to them. And, uh, yeah, yeah. he just, he became a self-joke. That's when, you know, you've made it, you know? Uh, yeah. so oh, you was know, brilliant. Back in, it was brilliant. And, you know, so back in the day. Uh, Don LaFontaine did those really hardcore Arnold Schwarzenegger in a world gone wrong. Uh, yep. Hal Douglas was, he was the mysterious, the rom-coms, uh, um, you know, uh, she was a cop, he was a killer and together they're cops and robbers. You know, is this, is, you know, yeah. if you wanted the funniness, you would, you'd hire him. You know, there was Tim Constantine. There was a whole bunch of guys that, uh, if you're really, uh, not bored, because it's, it's incredible when you have time, youtube uh an old video called five guys in a limo and in it you have don lafontaine it's his limo and he wants to make a super team of of movie trailer voiceovers and he called he says assemble the team and it's (laughs) al chalk it's all those guys in the 80s uh you know you had uh uh his name is escaping me he's such a good friend of mine uh who passed away he was the voice of disney uh
0: Yeah, like so all the mermaid, Little Mermaid and all those animated ones
1: coming to Walt Disney picture. uh, Mark Elliott. Thank you. And uh, and the one guy that wouldn't because he he doesn't want He didn't want to be seen on film. He calls uh, Don on his uh, hotline in the car uh, was was uh, Hal Douglas. And he go, uh, Don, this is Hal Douglas. And (laughs) it was just funny. But yeah, so YouTube, uh, five guys in a limo. It was created for the Directors Guild of America Awards uh, many years ago. And you're going to see all legends in that car that are, uh, you know, legends for movie trailer voiceovers, including Don. I'm going to I'm going to look it up because, you know, I mean, again,
0: I spent 15 years of my life at Hollywood Entertainment. And we, you know, I mean, I I spent 15 years of my life hawking videos and uh, and then they (laughs) obviously became DVDs. But, you know, I, I. I, I was renting VHR uh, V VHS players
1: uh, back absolutely in, back in the day. Yep, and I, I'm I did not know that that was you were behind that campaign or worked with them. I I mean it's just I'm yeah. such a fan of that, and I fell out of my chair because everyone in the room had no idea who who Don LaFontaine was until he spoke, and they're like, "Oh my God, he sounds like that guy!" I'm like, "He is the guy. Yeah, he's down you in know? the cupboard." Uh, <laughs> yes, and. Uh, you know, and the kid many, many, plays <laughs> it really well. The kid, oh, is per- yeah, the so kid, of un- course, gets he's right so he gets, unimpressed. Uh, yes, nobody looks at him. He's just like, you know, Don is just a co worker, a 60 year old co worker. You know, come <laughs> yes. on, Don, get off the shelf, come out and talk to this lady about the damn. Uh, so a mm-hmm. uh, story about Don is <laughs> uh, many years ago, so I was probably 15, 16, me and another kid, we thought we were going to be the next Spielbergs. <laughs> And I had made a stupid movie about uh, about me of all things, <laughs> and how in the future I became this wonderful director that all the actors are giving accolades. I just had passed away, so it was a like a CBS TV special on Connor Quinn, the director. And I thought that what would be funny, uh, I knew Don. You know, we'd worked together on quite a few different events and stuff, so I knew Don, and. I had got, I just don't know how I did it, but I talked him into walking with us on on uh, Sepulveda Boulevard, and he's got a microphone hooked to the camcorder at the time, and as I'm walking, I'm the talent, and my buddy is running the camera with Don and a short cord to this microphone off camera, and he's narrating everything I'm doing, so as I go to the street sign, he he's going to Sepulveda Boulevard. It looks like Connor Quinn is crossing the street. Um, And I'd cost, there goes an 84 Dodge Omni. <laughs> and I get across, it looks like he's going to a thrifty drugstore. You know, it was, just, it was so stupid, <laughs> oh. but he volunteered to do this for, yes. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I did it for a grade. Uh, Don was a good sport. And uh, hell, you know, that would have cost us, five hundred thousand oh. dollars to have someone of that you know stature <laughs> doing that yeah he wasn't quite the celebrity he was when when you had had him <clears throat> you know we could walk nobody you know they didn't know what who who is this guy it wasn't until he spoke that people knew his voice right
0: but, right right but uh right, right, right. Well, which yeah, was what a wonderful
1: man all. he was just a so when you yes, were doing the harry potter so when you were doing the harry
0: potter when you were doing, well, yeah, I mean, right. I mean, that voice was so iconic. Um, and, and, and again, so yes. familiar to so many of your favorite movies, there was a great, um, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think he was the guy, you'll know this in the movie, the holiday with, um, I, I uh, is it, it's not Gwyneth Paltrow it's, uh, Ka- uh, uh, Carmen Diaz and Jack Black is in it and they switch, houses the one in england and the one and they end up falling in love um but every time there's this bad thing that happens that voice comes over and it's like a movie because that's her job in hollywood is she makes trailers
1: oh you, i see yeah it sounds i'm sure that it would it would have been done I I, I I think need it to, was done now i, I need it, to rent that i need to yeah i need to check that out on wherever amazon or wherever and and see it but it's called yeah, the holiday was, uh, and it has got you know it's, yeah, it's a fantastic,
0: holiday. It's my favorite, it's my wife's favorite holiday movie, so I have to watch it every year. But I always see that, and I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> Dawn. I'm pretty sure it's Dawn.
1: And it's it a when it, it, you when you when you say the holiday to me, I I remember, you know, of course there's Cameron Diaz and I think Jack Black's in it, but uh my f- favorite actor, uh it was Eli Wallach and uh, he's also in in the movie and a funny thing e- Eli Wallach was the national voice of Toyota a very famous uh stage actor on Broadway and of course he was in movies such as the Magnificent Seven I mean very critically acclaimed actor well as a child as a young guy I had no idea who Eli Wallach was but I found out he was the voice of Toyota so that's a voiceover I need to write and get his autograph So my agent found his, his agent in New York and said, here's his agent, write him, you know, and ask for the autograph. She knew who Eli Wallach, well, everybody, but I, as a 16 year old, had no idea who the hell Eli, he was just the voice of the sugar association. And he was, you know, pure, sure, 16 calorie sugar. It's always been the best. It still is. You know, he's, he he had that (laughs) great bravado voice that he would do. And, uh, So I wrote him this long, long letter about how I love the Toyota commercials and I did and how I got excited every time a Toyota commercial came on. And I think it became very abundantly clear by half the page to Eli Wallach that this kid has no idea who he's writing to. Uh, Because everyone else would be saying, oh my God, I loved you in the Magnificent Seven. And they would just (laughs) name all of his bodies of work, right? But this kid was excited about the Toyota commercial that he probably just did on the side to make some money to pay. Well, hell, he didn't need to pay bills. He was a celebrity. But I got the sweetest uh, two-page letter from him and his wife uh, written back to me. And he schooled me on some of his stuff in a nice way. But he was so impressed that I knew he was the voice of Toyota. Or at least he feigned it. Uh, Yeah, I have wonderful thoughts about Eli. never met him personally, never worked with him. But uh, he was an early voiceover inspiration, that's for sure.
0: Wasn't well, that interesting? He Probably took it home and showed it to his wife and said, "Look at this."
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> and, yeah. I, he probably got he you know hundreds of fan letters. that day. I mean, he was you know I'm not yeah. saying he was uh, Brad Pitt, but everyone knew who Eli Wallach was back in the uh, '80s, especially. So I, I think you're exactly right. He showed it to his wife, and his wife says, "I think you know, you should respond to him. This kid really thinks you're the Toyota voice." And you know when we I just hear watched a movie. Go we just watched
0: a movie the other night. We just watched a movie and he was in it and I couldn't place where I, I just couldn't place it. And about halfway through the movie, I went, he's the asshole in the holiday who <laughs> the boss who, who cheats on or who she's in love <laughs> right, with and yes. th- that caused the whole breakup. He's the guy.
1: It finally yeah, totally. Me. I mean, in the sixties, you know, the Westerns, you know, you had the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, you yeah. always played these uh, vengeful, um, you Know guys, and then he kind of
0: then he ended up kind of towards now
1: he's kind of doing rom coms, right? Like
0: he does, like,
1: well, he he, he passed away uh oh, he several years ago, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Towards the end of his career,
0: yeah,
1: uh, he he softened up and you know, he was he played roles, uh, you know, earlier on he would play a uh, really tough CEOs of businesses or whatever, but as he oh, okay, softened up, he would be play the grandfather CEO that everybody liked or the boss that people liked, uh. He okay. kind of redeemed himself, but, uh, you know, he had that very New York heavy, um, yeah. you know, thing. And he was, a. I mean, he'd won, I know, I know that he's won, won a Tony and, uh, Emma and, uh, probably a British, you know, a BAFTA award. Uh, I don't know if he won an Academy award, but I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, he was just absolutely what a wonderful actor and here i was relegating him to his performance in a toyota commercial a 30 second voice or not even that maybe a 15 second voiceover yeah, yeah. but
0: again it was familiar and it was something that you were into right
1: it was, it was yeah i have a reel uh you know that he sent me uh he had a voiceover reel and i i have i have it in my collection it's uh like eli wallach would need a a reel but he had one uh he sure. had uh you know, it's his voice on every spot. He doesn't really change. Um, you know, other guys that were famous that, you know, I have their reels is, a uh, a guy by the name of Lorenzo Music. <clears throat> and, uh, in the seventies and eighties, he's a very powerful producer in Hollywood. Uh, he helped, uh, he was, a I I think a writer for the Mary Tyler Moore show. He created, uh, the TV show Rhoda, uh, and on the show Rhoda, he was Carlton, the doorman. You never saw him. You just heard him. and. That started because the voice actor that they had hired apparently didn't show up. So he just would read the lines just to give the actors, okay, here's your cue. And everybody laughed because he had such a, I can't even explain. I can only do the voice. You know, later he became the voice of Garfield and that's what he's most famous for. Okay. But his real voice was kind of like this. So he really talked really, wow, that's really cool. That's really wonderful. Wow. You know what I feel like? I feel like bubblegum. Hi, <laughs> hello. Hi, this was in your door, man. Your mom is at the front door. You know, he a very, and that was the way he really talked. It was just, isn't that strange. funny? How
0: sometimes it's just their voice and they, oh, right. yeah, the part, the the uh, the parts find the voice. They do. Or and the characters find the voice?
1: I, yeah, I, I had worked with him. I remember we did a. You know, we worked on Gummy Bears. He was the voice of Tummy Gummy, and he was such a powerful producer. You had all these voice actors that were great actors. And then you had Lorenzo, who was not an actor, but he was so powerful that nobody wanted to critique him. Nobody really wanted to upset him, but yet they wanted him to feel like he was part of the actor gang. So at the end of each episode, we would they do what they call pickup lines, where you may have slurred or you didn't read it quite the way the director. So they'll say, uh, uh, Connor, can you pick up lines 49, 72, and 215? And so they'll go back and have me redo those lines and they're going to insert those into the animation later uh, or into the process. Well, (laughs) Lorenzo, he could never read. He read it the same way every damn time. It didn't matter. He had no, he was so monotone. You couldn't tell if he was mad or if he's excited. And so just, they would give him notes and he'd write them down just like a kid. Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. Lorenzo, could you do lines, uh, 25, 17 and, uh, 30, yeah. 34. Okay. Hello. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 34. You say, uh, yeah, yeah. 34. Okay. And I remember one, we were going down a, a log in a mountain, all of us (laughs) bears. So we're all, whoa, wow. You know, we're going around curves and we're supposed to be animated. And (laughs) Lorenzo was like, Whoa, wow. Whoa. This is a, this is an amazing curve. I think I might get sick. They couldn't get anything, bless his heart, other than that. I don't know if he was playing us or they were playing them, but the Uh-oh. first time I ever met him, we were in a green room for a commercial. Um, it was a, a very powerful producer, uh, powerful, a very famous producer for radio commercials back in the day was a guy by the name of Dick Orkin. And he used Lorenzo a lot because... Uh, Lorenzo was the voice of one of the, uh, you know, Vince and Larry, the test dummies. He was the voice of one of those guys. Okay. (laughs) You can learn a lot from a dummy buckle up, you know? Uh, yeah. So we were doing a Dick (laughs) Horton radio spot and we were in the green room. I had never met him before and his, you know, I, he was a legend. I knew of him, but I had never met him. And he was on the, you know, in those days we didn't have cell phones, but he was on the landline and, he seemed to be really upset. His face was red, but he was very calm sounding, just loud. And I was like, who, who is that? And she, the, one of the actresses, she was like, oh, that's, that's Lorenzo music. And he had called the phone company. They'd overbilled him and <laughs> he was so upset. So irate over something I'm sure that is trivial for his financial needs, but it was the point I guess, but he was like, uh, you could hear the operator on the other side. And he's like, of course I'm upset. What the hell do you mean I'm upset? My, you overcharged me $300 on my effing bill and I'm really upset and I'm not going to take it. Do you understand me? And you could clearly hear the lady laughing on the other end. What the hell are you laughing for, B-word? And she was laughing more and she goes, <laughs> clear as day you could hear. You sound just like Garfield. I am Garfield, <laughs> And he slammed the phone down. Hi, Connor. Nice to meet you. Okay, let's go, guys. (laughs) (laughs) It was just a a wonderfully sweet man. He'd lost it that day. But um, again, you know, uh, there's so many of these uh, Mel Blank, uh, famous for Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd, fill in the blank. He also had a demo. You wouldn't think Mel Blank would need a damn demo, but. He had a voiceover demo, you know. So, well,
0: well, I think you know it reminds me of the story of uh, I heard the story and when, when Christopher Walken was on uh, uh, Suicide Kings, and uh, the night before the the cast was quite a bunch of young actors, and they had gone out and 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 it, were celebrating, and uh, the next morning was the first read of the script, and Christopher Walken was on time. He had he did not need the script because he had already memorized it. And he was ready to work, and the guys all came in hungover. And he grabs his script book and he goes, Gentlemen, we'll start this tomorrow when you're ready. Come prepared to work. And he left. And they were thrilled that they got him, like they sold him on this part. And uh, the guy who directed it or wrote it, the actor tell, told the story on something I was at. And I'd heard the story, and it just, I had so much profound respect for christopher walken because he is just a true professional yeah, and i've heard absolutely. similar stories of when he was on saturday night live it, you know he oh came to God. work he he really took the craft um absolutely well, serious yeah uh, you know so, so mel blanks of course he's a professional he has a real yes if you need it here
1: it is uh um,
0: it is absolutely you'll, you'll probably you know, hire me on my name but
1: I'm yeah prepared. of course everybody knew you know i grew up you know uh you know uh, knowing Mel Blank's, uh, I'd see it, you know, voice characterizations by Mel Blank. Same with, uh, Hanna-Barbera, uh, a voiceover Dawes-Butler, voices by Dawes-Butler. Yep. And what you were talking about was kind of a big thing in the business. It, many years ago, was not really popular or wanted to be a voiceover. You should have been known as an actor. And my agent had me shadow an older guy and basically shadowing, you would follow him around to all of his recording sessions and you would see how it was done. You would see how he would sign in for the union and, you know, hobnob with the people and how he broke his script down. You know, I just, everything It was kind of like coaching in a way. And the guy that I shadowed was someone that she represented. His name was Percy Rodriguez, a very classically trained Shakespearean actor from Canada. And he'd been on the original Star Trek. Uh, he'd been on uh, the movie or the miniseries Roots, uh, a very distinguished actor. And here we were doing a sirloin stockade commercial. And he had a very interesting way of speaking. Uh, he was the voice of Kenny Shoes. We only sell the right shoe. <laughs> uh, he was uh, the voice of Coca-Cola. I remember we were at the Paramount Studios when Paramount uh, had bought Coke and we were doing a commercial there. and. <clears throat> he only had the tagline and he would say, uh, uh, Coca-Cola classic. You can beat the real thing. And he just had <laughs> a beautiful voice and he was the original voice of Jaws on the movie trailer that told you, uh, it's, you know, on Jaws two, it's not safe to go back just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Right. Uh, very classic, very, very famous, very famous actor, very famous voiceover. Well, again, I'm 15, have no idea, nor could I care who he is. Um, but I did love his voice. And so I was following him as we we're doing all these sessions. And we came out of this sirloin stockade commercial. And he goes, as we got in his car, Connor, what are your goals? What would you like to do as an actor? And I said, oh, uh, yeah, I would like, uh, I want to be the voice of commercials. Just like what you did. What? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, definitely. I would love to be like the voice of sirloin stockade or at or He goes, you've got to be kidding. Uh, w- what what dreams do you have to be on the stage? And I'm like, none. I never want to be on stage. That's boring. What what about film and television? No, I'm done with that. I did that when I was a kid. I I don't want to do those things. I'm I'm yeah. I love Hollywood. I love the movie business, but it's just I my thing is the closest I want to be to movies is movie trailers, like you do, like Jaws and all that. You know, he'd do uh, Jason goes to hell. You know, he'd do all these horrible. <laughs> schlocky stupid trailers and he's a voice I still use today when they want a <laughs> they want a, a cheesy trailer that's awesome would you my, go uh... into the shed filled with chainsaws you just might you know it's just but anyway he was appalled that I wanted to do voiceover he goes my dear boy I only do voiceover between gigs it's not <laughs> something I desire to do and it's like but it you know he eventually became known as a voiceover guy. He made more money doing voiceovers than he used to, you know, as he got older than he was doing from film and television appearances. So it's funny how he schooled me on the schlocky business of voiceover. It's just something a gig you, you do between gigs. It's not something you desire to be. Well, that, <laughs> boy, has that world changed, right? It has. He, yeah, yeah, that didn't age well, right? Yeah, that world. Well, I tell you, what a
0: treat! Uh, I, I mean, especially for my audience, because a lot of my audience was either connected or worked in the, you know, blockbuster video days or the Hollywood video days. I worked right. for both companies, and I just what a treat to uh, to have you on the show. We're running, uh, we're we're bumping up against the clock, but I want to ask you. I do want to ask you to to share a story or a memory, where you're either your leadership or your career. Profoundly had an impact on another person. We, and, and we go there on the show because we do, because I think with great emotion comes great change. And I think that everybody has a story and everybody's made an impact. And so I'll, uh, I'll just ask you before we wrap up. And, and I just, again, what a treat having you on the show.
1: Oh, uh, my and, pleasure, Tim. I mean, and, absolutely and thank you it. for
0: all the freebies. Thank you for all the voices. Because <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm just sitting here giggling and, uh, you know, spending awesome. so much, so many years of my life in that business. And of course, I, I mean, you know, and again, right, because when you worked in the store, we had to play trailers. And so they were always just that's true time. you were
1: <laughs> surrounded by them yeah you heard hal douglas and la fontaine you heard all those guys man
0: uh, for, for, yeah for over and over so so it's really been a treat but but is there is there a story is there a memory of something with either your leadership and i will tell you connor you are a leader uh yeah. and and you lead your business and uh i, I think you're a great curator of this of, of your craft but
1: where it uh, had an impact on somebody else's life yeah you know i was it's mainly probably for with my on-camera career, believe it or not, is uh, two quick stories. Uh, you know, uh, Karen Grassley, who played Mrs. Ingalls on Little House, was also one of my uh early acting coaches. And uh we were both at the College of Santa Fe in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and she was uh, you know, an adjunct professor there. And <clears throat> I remember eating lunch with her, and this uh 30-some odd year old woman came up and uh, asked her, you know, are you uh, Mrs. Ingalls? And she said, you know, I'm Karen Grassley. I played Mrs. Ingalls. And the the woman went on to say that uh, what a impact that she had made on her life because her mother had died at four years when she was four years old. And she goes, you were my mother as I was growing up. And I mean, we both started, I mean, crying, not in front of the woman, but I mean, it just, yeah, I mean, it hit us. And, you know, Karen was like, who would have thought that, some something we had done 40 years ago was still impacting someone at that time. It was in the nineties, but then I had my own, you know, shift forward. Uh, I met someone who was just a, a little bit younger than I, I was and they'd somehow had heard, cause obviously they're not going to recognize me, but they'd come up to me and said, asked if I was Connor Quinn. And I said, yeah. And they said, Oh, I, I'd heard that you were on Sesame street. And I said, yeah. And she, uh, she said, were you, there, there was a really famous, uh, or not famous at all. It was just a, a scene that, that we had shot where they had repeatedly brought me in for this type of bit. And uh, in those days, actors, we didn't really get to eat a lot as children. I didn't have my first milkshake and cheeseburger till I was probably 14 or so, you know, because they really uh, watched our diet so that we were at a certain, you know, it, it was hard. It was a hard life. And a so
0: appearance, right. A certain appearance.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because to make those uh, auditions, you had to, you know, yeah. you know, that it was the seventies idea of diet and that sort of thing. So anyway, on Sesame street as a child, uh, I was, <laughs> I desperately wanted cookies Well, I had never really had cookies. Well, in this bit, they have me up on this five foot wall and they have me sitting up there and Ernie pops up beside me. And I was a child, so I really, th- I thought Ernie was real. You know, I'm that stupid. And Ernie was my buddy. And he goes, uh, <laughs> you know, I've, <laughs> I've got a plate full of cookies for my good buddy, Connor. And he, you know, here he had this tray and I could smell, oh my God, they were real cookies. They weren't s- sponges or anything. They were real cookies. And I, as a little boy, I so wanted all those cookies that he had on that plate. Well, just as he was offering them to me, Cookie Monster jumps up and eats the whole damn tray and everything. And I couldn't and the camera slowly zoomed in on my face, you know, as the dawn of horror. Yeah, as a little boy, you know, my hopes the and dreams were went. Right. And I thought that was funny, which it was. And so anyway, they had done repeated things, you know, one time it was a cake and then it was tapioca pudding and or chocolate pudding or whatever. And, you know, just anything to get me excited. It was like Charlie Brown and the football with Lucy. And I fell for it every damn time. I thought I was getting a pizza. I wasn't getting anything. Well, uh, this, this, uh, girl, this, uh, she was younger, not, not much younger than me. She had seen those and had heard that I was on them. And she said, uh, uh, I was so inspired by you when I was a child because, remember when they sing the theme song and I'm like, yeah, I think so. She goes, the theme song to Sesame street is, can you tell me how to get, how to get to Sesame street? I'm like, right. Yeah. is you know, Jeffrey, you know, the, the famous, There' a theme song. And she goes, well, I desperately wanted to know how to get to where you were and nobody seemed to know but I thought that you were amazing because somehow you had figured out how to get to Sesame street. Oh, wow. And I got a lump in my throat and she goes, so I cried as a little girl that I I wanted to be so much like you because I wanted to be with big bird and uh, Bob and Susan. And I wanted them as friends uh, because I was picked on as a kid in school and I didn't really fit in. And just she's the only happiness she had was by watching Sesame street and her good friends, Grover and Connor and Ernie. and it just. You know, it, who would have thought that, you know, I remember when Jim Henson passed away, uh, there were several of us that he was in the middle of doing his season. And uh, when he passed away of pneumonia, they flew in a bunch of us to do some voice work, you know, on Sesame Street to kind of, you know, fill in the remainder of the season. And I was kind of, you know, I'm like 17, 18. I didn't want to be associated with kid shows anymore. I wanted to do my serious career as a voiceover. I wanted to be the voice of you know, selling Campbell soups instead of, you know, like that's a big deal. But I was kind of angry that, you know, my agent sent me to this thing. And it wasn't until I walked on the soundstage and they had the very same set since I was a child from 19, you know, it started in 69. I joined the cast in 77. It was the very same set on the soundstage. And when I saw it, I broke down and cried that I should be honored to be asked to come back into the sacred spot because it's, Sesame Street just had, it meant, it means so much to so many people around the world. And, you know, I continued doing voice promos for Sesame Street today. So it's, it's kind of full circle. You know, i I started my acting career with them 37 years ago and I just have recorded promos for them here. Not too, not too long ago. So, wow. That was a long that- answer, but yeah, that's, you know, that's how I feel like I've impacted somebody, you know? Well, it's a perfect answer so well listen
0: I have so enjoyed this me and too the, the walk down memory lane and yes just the connection with Hollywood and I really really do appreciate it and I appreciate you being on a show uh, let's uh let's stay in touch and yes, uh you know
1: I, I I just uh I I consider you a friend you as well Tim my pleasure and you know if you're ever in need of a guest I'm a phone call away you'd call me and uh we'll talk we can talk about other things about <laughs> we can talk more about the business side of acting which uh we could get to but anyway thank you so much for having me on and and i appreciate the, your your audience listening to my stories
0: well they were great stories so all right my friend take care enjoy your weekend and uh, and thanks again for being on the show you too buddy